0: Hey everyone, this is Ryan. <laughs> and Becca. This is not actually a new episode. It is an old episode that we did about the Borg Queen. Mm. Uh, and uh, thought it would be timely to re release it for your listening pleasure, um, just in case you're watching Picard.
1: And if just you're in not, case. N- don't don't worry about it <laughs> or if you wanted to re-listen to us talk about the G- borg queen for other reasons because she's a badass and uh, very entertaining <laughs> uh so yeah enjoy enjoy this rerun
0: this is intertractional an exploration of star trek through
1: an intersectional feminist lens Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world.
0: Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect
1: individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Welcome to season two of Intertrectional, y'all.
0: Season two is here. We released a whole season and we survived. No what? one told us we couldn't do it.
1: <laughs> no one stopped us. Yeah, some people even said that they liked it, which, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we shout out the person who donated to us? Oh, yeah. Uh, Brian Nickel. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Brian. I feel like we are officially a real thing now. Yeah, you can donate to us and be like Brian, our yes. hero, at... PayPal.me slash Federation and Fempire.
0: Send us money.
1: It really helps. It'll
0: help your karma. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Shout out to all
0: of my friends at Star Trek shitposting. Mm. I love you all so much and your depraved little souls. (laughs) And it makes me so happy that some of you are listening to this because I get so much out of that. And I love that I'm putting something in the world that you are
1: also enjoying. Another shout out to Feminist Moogie Corps. They are actually an inclusive space, which is available to any human um not exclusively femme identified humans it's a really really great group and then also
0: i Ryan, I know it's been a while since you've heard her voices. So I, Ryan, I take the hit on that. Um, I think I had just like a fundamental misunderstanding of like what a safer, safer space was, which stems from a two year long debate about safe spaces on Oberlin College that led me to have a fundamental misunderstanding of the word safe space. So I made an assumption that was incorrect.
1: Thank you, Nelia, for contacting us. Um, she's one of the moderators from Feminist Movie Corps and uh, just want to get that clear that they are an all-inclusive space
0: also just like thanks guys for uh listening to us when i said let us know when we mess up and you did
1: and i love it all right what are we talking about today we're talking about the Borg queen i don't think I, I realized
0: how much i loved her
1: she so the Borg queen is fantastic so we uh, we took some in- inspiration from one of my new favorite podcast, and a podcast that Brian has been listening to for a while, Our Opinions Are Correct. That is Charlie Jane Anders and Emily Newitz's podcast, and it's fucking phenomenal. But they had an episode recently where they were talking about female villains. Mm. And, and like monsters. Monsters. Like specifically in the context of horror, but also villains. And we were like, the Borg Queen is very much like a monster and... Also, Picard is starting in January.
0: Yeah, yeah. We want to get you guys pumped for Picard. We are pumped for Picard. And it seems like from the trailers, very Borg-focused. We know that Seven of Nine's coming back. We know that other (laughs) Borg that was around for like one episode in TNG is coming back. Hugh. Hugh. So if you are excited for Picard... We hope to be a resource for um, doing the homework.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we did, are going to get you ready. We did the reading, <laughs> um, and we will share our notes. Yeah. So, speaking of our notes, uh, we watched three episodes that include three ep- two episodes in a movie mm-hmm. um, that involve the Borg Queen. We watched Dark Frontier and Unimatrix Zero, which are both two-part episodes, and First Contact. And Voyager episodes.
0: And First Contact and, like, uh shout out to my ex andrew for making me watch first contact like three times when we were dating it's probably one of the entry points into my heavier fandom of star trek it's a good fucking movie
1: to get into our summaries star trek first contact came out um in november of 1996 and of course this was a film so it was released in theaters instead of writing our own summary i just want to read the one that's on hulu because it's ridiculous Led by their seductive and sadistic queen, the Borg are headed to Earth with a devious plan to alter history. Picard's last encounter with the Borg almost killed him. Now he wants vengeance. But how far will he go to get it?
2: Here! The line must be drawn here! This far, no (laughs) farther!
1: That's exactly how far he answers the question. That's a very brief summary. We'll like highlight plot points as we talk about it that are important. But a couple things that we want to call out. So they go back in time and they meet Zephram Cochran, who is like a raging alcoholic. <laughs> Basically the epitome of white male mediocrity. Wait, what? Who is he though? Why is he important? Oh, okay. So Zephram Cochran is the inventor of the warp drive.
0: Yes and thus responsible for our first contact with the vulcans and basically everything that happens in all of our star trek universe and mm-hmm. he sucks <laughs> yeah he's kind of he's
1: kind of an asshole he's kind he, of a he, shitty asshole he's, but he's, he's a lot of time hitting on troy <laughs> he gets a really drunk her drunken <laughs> drunken troy is pretty adorable though so that's one reason to watch this movie well i think we have to tell him the truth
2: If we tell the truth, the timeline-
1: Timeline!
0: This is no time to argue about time. We don't have the time.
1: Oh my god, yeah. Um, (laughs) Marina (laughs) Sirtis actually gets to be funny. (laughs) I mean, I love her. I've loved her since I was a child. And then the other thing that's important to know about this movie is that this um, Borg queen who is in this Hulu description- seductive and sadistic very accurate sadistically seduces Data. She gives him some skin yeah, and then she blows on it and it's like
0: yeah we assume that there's more of that happening off screen (laughs) Um, all of this is happening while he's tied up so it's like quite literally sadistic like she doesn't have a sadistic personality she's like practicing sadism on him Mm -hmm. while she seduces him
1: Um, oh yeah interaction who dat so Alfrey Woodard is uh, featured in Star Trek First Contact and she is an amazing actress she's also a woman of color a black mm-hmm. woman she's like working with Zefram Cochran to build the warp drive she's there in their compound and then she gets severely injured and she's transported up to Enterprise which is where she meets Picard basically as soon as she meets Picard and gets over her freak out about time travel and the Borg she becomes his like emotional sounding board confidant and pep talker more or less
0: yeah she becomes like his moral compass Uh, she challenges him on things but like her whole purpose is to Have someone for Picard to talk to while he's going through his emotional journey of the movie.
1: Earlier, you said it's because they couldn't get Whoopi Goldberg for this movie.
0: I think so. So they
1: had to have some other black lady. Like pretty sure telling Picard that everything's gonna be okay. Maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean that's also yeah that's also Whoopi's job, right? As Guinan, as Guinan, which, it's, it's messed up. I'm glad that they hired a woman and that they hired a person of color for this film, um, especially if they weren't bringing Whoopi in with the cast. But then they gave
1: her the woman and woman of color job. It's, icky. it's confining. It's narrow. It does not allow for, like, complete humanity. It doesn't feel like her character is a full person. Um, speaking of people of color, uh, Jordy of course, is in this film. He has new eyes. Yeah. <laughs> He's got these creepy blue contacts and then they like they zoom in on his eyeballs a little bit and you can see them like, w- like moving around so that he can yeah, focus they're, like, on mechanical. something. That was um, LeVar Burton's, <laughs> at his insistence.
0: Yeah, he was just like, I do not want to wear this visor again. You need me in the film. Can we do anything else?
1: Good for him for putting his foot down. Good, good for everyone for seeing his whole face. Yeah. You
0: know? I still, th- I think that green or purple or something more, th- I think they could have made it more science-y. I think they I look... feel like it plays into some bluest eye shit. I don't know if I can speak to this, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. To me, they read as... Let me know what you guys think. <laughs> to me, they read as far enough away from human eyes that I don't really get that interpretation, but... They are still blue, and they're very light blue, and so it's like we're conforming you to some particular like white supremacist ideal in a weird, probably accidental, but still their way. Mm-hmm. Chronologically, the dark frontier is, from Voyager, which is episodes 15 and 16 of season 5, or just episode 15 if you're watching Netflix, aired in February of 1999 voyager encounters a damaged borg sphere and determines to steal its warp coil to help with the heist seven reviews her parents study of the borg the borg queen learns of their plan and contacts seven of nine to offer her a deal if she returns to the borg voyager will not be destroyed and can keep the coil. After Seven is captured, Naomi Wildman convinces Janeway to mount a rescue mission. Meanwhile, the Queen forces Seven to participate in assimilating a planet. Janeway, Tuvok, Tom, and the Doctor take the cloaked Delta Flyer into the heart of Borg territory. They find Seven and narrowly escape, returning to Voyager triumphant. They use the transorb coil to get them 15 years closer to home. It was a big win for the Voyager crew.
0: I love this episode because it starts with a garage sale and then goes into
1: a heist. (laughs) (laughs) They like fly past the sphere and they're like, "Y'all don't need that transwarp coil anymore." Oh, okay, cool. We'll take it. Thank you, Becca.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm gonna read the summary of Unimatrix Zero. Seven of Nine is contacted by her Borg ex-boyfriend while she is regenerating. It turns out that some Borg have a mutation that allows them to visit a tropical dreamland to hang out with each other called Unimatrix Zero while they're asleep. The Borg Queen has discovered it and is trying to destroy it. Voyager launches a dangerous plan to attempt to divorce these Borgs from the Collective that involves Janeway, Tuvok, and Bolana, very important people to the ship, becoming Borg drones to infiltrate a cube. They are caught, and Janeway goes head-to-head with the Borg Queen. The Borg Queen visits Unimatrix Zero and decides to use her access to Dreamworld to destroy their individuality. Voyager destroys Unimatrix Zero in order to prevent her from doing this. And everyone is really sad, especially Seven, who is permanently separated from her paramour. Aww.
1: Yeah.
0: Axum. Axum. Dreamy, dreamland beau. Literally the man of her dreams. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <Womp womp. laughs> uh. She's like, wait. We've been having
1: a relationship while I was asleep and you didn't tell me. She gets all offended. and She's like, why didn't you tell me sooner? And he's like, well, I didn't want to freak you out. And she's like, well, that backfired. And then she's
0: like. Yeah, it's like 90 minutes of seven being upset and then making out. Yeah. And then being upset again.
1: So just one like introduction from this episode. Tom walks onto the bridge and everybody's like, Tom, you're late. And he's like, I'm 22 seconds late. He walks to the helm and there's this box on it it's a pip as ship's captain
2: i hereby reinstate you to the rank of lieutenant with all the privileges and responsibilities therein your performance on this ship over the past year has been exemplary i expect more of the same you won't be disappointed
1: congratulations lieutenant
2: i didn't notice a little box on my chair
1: He's an of Asian descent character and uh, he never gets promoted. He's an ensign the whole fucking time.
0: I think at this point of the series is like where the where the writers started to become aware of how absurd this is. And instead of fixing it, they just made it an in joke. But it's super racist.
1: Yeah. Actually, okay, so I don't know. Like, you I don't, don't know. Just
0: launch into talking about seven. This yeah. is where we are now. Let's,
1: yeah, so like, it's really, I, I think it's easy given like Jerry Ryan's body and her delivery. It's easy to forget that she really is, from an emotional maturity standpoint, very young. One of the things that gets in the way of her rekindling this relationship that she had is her extreme discomfort being vulnerable like
0: people will often say to her like you're upset or like you are attracted to this person she's
1: like no what (laughs) feelings i don't have those (laughs) she's like shut up you are (laughs) (laughs) and it's like actually she does have feelings and that's one of the things that she's like working to reclaim becoming human but it's also something that she really resists because it's scary it is scary
0: yeah, and it's also that extreme awkwardness around your feelings that you have kind of when you're a young pubescent, yeah. which totally tracks with like her not being a full grown up, which people are constantly forgetting. Yeah. She gets a lot of feelings in this episode.
1: Yeah, she does have a lot of feelings. Also, both of her eyebrows are exposed, and you can see <gasps> her like facial expression when she's lifting. Definitely Jerry Ryan has a more mobile right eyebrow i think yeah that's where her cortical node is this is weird facial expression
0: (laughs) it is weird to see her whole face it's like weird and disorienting when she gets into the dreamland you can see her whole face she wears her hair down she wears some like layered bad american apparel t-shirts like you're like where's your cat suit girl Mm, right she gets to actually wear some normal
1: shit when she first enters unimatrix zero her appearance is how she looks like on voyager like she's got her cat suit on and she's got her pared down borg implants and axum her ex-boyfriend like points this out and she goes my appearance is irrelevant And he replies, no, it's not. And what this called out to me is this like notion of acculturation. Like she is being asked to conform to their mode of dress that they have in Unimatrix Zero. Um, and then she does. One of the things that that symbolizes is that she has like accepted that that's her place and that's her role in that place. Also, it leads to the fact that we get to see both of her eyebrows. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, so I'm curious about, like, what you think
0: the difference is between, like, acculturation and assimilation. And, like, also mm-hmm. a similar thing happens when Seven joins Voyager. In the other episode, when the Queen has her, she points this out. She's like, they've ma- remade you in their image. You know, when you become a Borg, you look like the Borg. So this is happening in all of these situations. But in two of them, they're saying, this is you becoming an individual. But, like, is it?
1: right yeah she's like told to prove that she's an individual by accepting somebody else's dictates about how she should dress and how she should have her appearance be it's a little bit of a conflicting message right there if only it were like less pink yeah (laughs) not that i have anything against wearing pink it's just like Uh, yeah i feel like seven would wear black but annika Annika. wears
2: pink yeah
1: she's still she's still a child i don't buy it um, I think that that relates to one of the things that I kind of realized watching these couple episodes with Seven is that she and Naomi Wildman are like, they're like buds. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways they behave like sisters oh. because they're kind of in a way growing up together. Mm. Like Seven's in an adult body, but... She stopped maturing as a human being at age, like, 10 or something. And that's about how old Naomi is. And Naomi's, like, yeah. 6 or 7, right, Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like, so,
0: she gets born around season 2. She's also part alien, so she might mature faster. They were like, how soon can we get an actress who can speak on, <laughs> on the show? Because babies right. are boring. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think developmentally she's around 8 or 10. And, uh, she and Seven have this really sweet relationship that, yeah, definitely is like an older sister, younger sister kind of thing. And Seven went through her adolescence in a maturation chamber, mm-hmm. right? And then apparently had the rest of her adolescence in Dream World, where she was, like, macking on this Axum guy. <laughs> <laughs> but then, in her, like, voyage herself has forgotten all of this. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, there's so much I love about this episode, like in terms of the Bechtel test, mm-hmm. the Bechdel test. I think it's Bechdel test. The yeah. Bechdel test, invented by an Oberlin alum and her friend. <laughs> Just going to shout that out. Um, the Bechdel test, like there are so many women talking to each other about so many things that are not men in mm-hmm. these two episodes. It's like, so we have Seven and Janeway having a lot of conversations. We have Seven and Naomi having a lot of conversations. We have Naomi and Janeway having a lot of conversations. We have Seven and the Borg Queen. We have Janeway and the Borg Queen, I think. Or maybe Janeway's just like thinking at the Borg Queen. at the
1: Well, no, I they think may they be, don't be talk physically in, in the same place at the same time in Unimatrix Zero, but they do have a conversation. Janeway is the one who convinces the G- Borg Queen to go into Unimatrix Zero to see what's going on there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: I think I'm collapsing a few different episodes in my
1: head. Yeah. Wait, which one has Naomi Wild? They both do. They both do? Yeah. No, they both do. Um, Um, Okay. I think. We've just been watching these two
0: episodes repeatedly for a month while I've been in yoga teacher training and then like finally are talking about them, but they've sort of collapsed in our brains. Yeah. Dark Frontier. Mm -hmm. I love this episode. Not just because it starts with the garage sale. <laughs> I love this episode because it's just one of those moments where it's like not only do they have a female captain, but just Voyager shines through as the most feminist
1: the most feminist track the most feminist track, yeah, right.
0: We have seven reading her parents like diaries or something or like their mission log. And in order to find out information that will help them with this heist to get the transwarp coil. While she's reading these, we get this really close-up picture of what Seven's life looked like when she was a little girl and her parents were chasing a Borg cube for like a few years. And it sucks. <laughs> and uh, her parents are just way more interested in this mission than they are in her. And she's asking them these questions like, what are the Borg like? Are they nice? Do they want to be our friends? Like, should I be scared? And then later, she's like having this sort of nightmare that is interrupted by the Borg Queen contacting her while she's regenerating that starts out with her talking to Naomi Wildman, where Naomi Wildman is asking her, the exact same fucking questions. The look on Seven's face is like, oh no, this mission is putting Naomi in danger the way I was put in danger. And she is like not chill about this mission. And then like later you get this beat of like once Seven's gone, of Naomi worrying about Seven and coming to Janeway. Do you want to talk about Janeway? Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I know you have Janeway mommy thoughts.
1: Um, Well, I think we've, you know, we've offhandedly called her Captain Mommy before, <laughs> I feel like this one and Unimatrix Zero both kind of hit on this trope of the Borg Queen is like Seven's mom and Janeway is another mo- mother figure to to Seven. But she really does like have a maternal relationship with Seven and um, I think it, it motivates her to take certain risks that she wouldn't otherwise take. Like... In seven or Janeway, Janeway. Okay, in both of these rescue missions in Dark Frontier and in Unimatrix Zero, Janeway is in the away party. Is that the right word? Yeah, away team, she's in the away team. <laughs> I think away uh, party is accurate. But they say team. Janeway is in the away team to do the rescuing, and she leaves Jacoté in command of the ship. Um, I don't know that she would ne- necessarily leave him in command of the ship instead of like in preference of sending him to do this kind of mission if it were for a different member of the crew
0: yeah yeah i think that's real like she's not going in person to save balana for anything Mm -mm. correct me if she ever did that at some point but (laughs) i i don't i don't because i know balana also has like janeway mommy issues but i don't think they're as strong on janeway's end as they are for seven
1: you mean for Bolana? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like
0: like Janeway doesn't feel like Balana's mom, even if Bolana feels like Janeway's her mom. Got it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Bolana has like this complicated relationship with her mother that we are not gonna get into because we've already <laughs> talked about it. I think another thing that emphasizes this like maternal relationship between Seven and the Borg Queen. Is that the logs like are reviewed and most of the perspective that we get is from um, Annika and her relationship with her dad. And so it's like really the, the mother figures that matter in this story are the Borg Queen and Janeway
0: yeah but I would I would push a little further even though it doesn't make it explicit that like the role that her mother had in her life was not protecting her Mm. right that her dad was actively putting her in danger and her mom was just sort of standing there like she'll just be standing there in scenes doing nothing and here the Borg Queen really really values her and Janeway really really values her Mm -hmm. and like are both interested in her in this way that like her mother was not
1: yeah yeah i see that oh i'm sad now oh poor seven (gasps) yeah i mean poor baby
0: seven poor baby annika yeah
1: um i like i also like janeway's interactions with the borg queen they're they're two like very powerful women who have different goals and different values and so they come head to head um a number of times throughout the series Voyager, I think it's really great to get to see.
0: Yeah, it's not something you see very. It's not something you see very often. And I think often when you do see women going head to head, it's like there can only be one woman in the room, mm-hmm. and that's a hundred percent not at all what's happening here, right? Like they have different ships, they have different goals. It's not like oh, there can only be one boss bitch. I mean, like kind of you can put that onto this, but it's very much like. Superman and Lex Luthor. What's what's the word? Your nemesis. Yeah, They're each other's nemesis. Mm-hmm. And it, you just, you very rarely see that with two women. And especially without the series, I mean, we're making it about them being women, but the series does not make it about
1: them being women, mm-hmm. which is also refreshing. It gives the Borg Queen the opportunity to just deliver these lines like, Janeway. Janeway she's <laughs> yes. just like she's so like, <laughs> she fucking hates herself. this, her so this bitch again <laughs> yeah yeah no and i think that's
0: why it's reminding me of lex luther right it's like he gets so close to his plan he's like superman
1: also they're both bald yes <laughs> oh my god <gosh. laughs> they're both like sexy bald
0: Ooh. <laughs> oh oh yeah which leads us to our next topic or i don't know i've decided this is the next topic Uh, How sexy is the Borg Queen?
1: Obviously, Hulu has jumped us on this. Like, the (laughs) Borg Queen is seductive. There's a lot of different reasons for that. I think going back to this, like, female monsters thing, it's, Mm. like, very rare that a, a woman just kind of, like, period is portrayed as something other than sexy but it also adds to her monstrosity or her villainous nature that she is sexy yeah
0: because you're attracted to her and then you're repulsed by your own attraction both because of what they physically do like they play that edge they're like well she's not gonna have any hair she's not gonna have any eyebrows or eyelashes Um, she's not gonna have cleavage She has like very like visible breasts Mm -hmm. but not any cleavage and uh and you know this is the 90s so like that was the thing Hmm. but then they're just gonna play her in a way that's like very sexy i mean they picked a very they picked two very thin actresses and they put her in this cat suit and then she's got this nasty ass green skin Mm
1: -hmm. gray skin kind of grayish green skin but her lips are like pink or orange or red or whatever yeah especially in the film she's got some like nice berry
0: lipstick i think they're a little more muted on voyager yeah um okay so (laughs) i think i i want to pause for a break we should come back and talk about uh other things other things (laughs) the queen's obsession with seven and how hot and gross she is Mm -hmm. but uh my dog needs to pee so
1: all right we're gonna go walk the dog Welcome back. We walked. The dog peed. We peed. Is that too much information? TMI, <laughs> There was sunshine outside. I don't know. This podcast has an explicit rating <laughs> we could talk about.
0: So, Borg Queen. Borg Queen, can we talk about how she's obsessed with Seven? Mm -hmm. Just, like, staying in Final Frontier or whatever the fuck this episode's called. Dark Frontier. Dark Frontier.
1: Frontier. She's obsessed with Seven, and so she's obsessed also with Picard Mm -hmm. and with Data in First Contact. And so she has this obsession with particular individuals, and it's, like, in part because they're unique individuals. And strong. And it's, like, she wants
0: to get them to submit. And they all kind of have the same reaction, like, aren't you going to assimilate me? And she's like, no. I'm going to make you want to do what I want. And it's like, you have a way to
1: do that already! Why aren't you using it? Literally millions of other drones submit to your every whim. What is it about these particular people that you want them to, like, do it voluntarily or, like, come to you as an equal? And I think this is why she calls Picard Locutus – I think it's why she doesn't immediately assimilate Seven back into being a drone. The conclusion that we came to is she's lonely. Yeah. And she like wants a companion. I mean, that's
0: the issue with collective consciousness, right? I- I'm never lonely. I'm with everyone. But then there's also no one to talk to. It's all instantaneous. She wants to have an interaction, which Data calls her on and she's like, no. <laughs> like what are you doing? And then Picard calls her on it, and she's like, "Don't flatter yourself." Seven has a much more Socratic
2: way of doing it. Like, what are you doing? The Borg have changed as well. I expected reassimilation, not conversation. I see they've also given you a sense of humor. My humor is my own. Spoken like a true individual.
1: Seven in particular helps, helps whatever encourages her to recognize that she has. A thing that she's searching for. A partnership. She doesn't want to just be the lead consciousness in a collective consciousness. She brings order to
0: the chaos. She is the one out of many. She is always there the beginning and the end.
1: Like, I'm not unique. The Borg is me. I am the Borg. Well, she is, but she also isn't. She has a unique sense of self Mm -hmm. compared to a drone. And there's nobody else around her except for these people that she occasionally captures that have a similar, like, sense of self. I wonder if she just goes around the
0: galaxy doing that. (laughs) Like, she's got, like, a Klingon nemesis. And she has, like, a nemesis from the people who live in fluidic space. And she's got, like, a Kazon nemesis. (laughs) And just, like, she just goes around the galaxy being like, you...
1: Yeah. Can we also talk about her as dominant? But she, but the so like, word
0: you're looking for is not dominant.
1: It's dominatrix. It's not, exactly. <laughs> yes. She is very kinky. Yeah. She like suspends data from this weird contraption as a yes. torture device, and his yes. his arms are up like this and (laughs) his arms are up above his head Mm -hmm. that's the gesture she just made
0: (laughs) (gasps) right yeah yeah especially in the film and then i think she also
1: suspends picard in a similar way Mm. she constrains him in some way or other where Mm. it's like he he is not able to move so he's bound in a sense Mm -hmm. i mean i'm a bit obsessed with the scene with data (sighs) where she uh puts some skin on him like organic skin and then just blows on it and he's like "Mm." oh yeah yeah no and then she she
0: fully unlocks him from the contraption and at first he's fighting all the drones and then she gets them to stop fighting him and she just goes up to him and is like hey you want (laughs) to (gasps) fuck right like she's basically like you could escape now you could fight me but um how long has it been since you've gotten any And he's like, oh, shit, it's been eight years. And she's like, right. And then
1: they make out. Which is a great opportunity for us to be reminded that Data is fully functional. The last person he boned was (gasps) Tasha Yar. Yeah, yeah. May she rest in peace. So then they have the most disappointing kiss.
0: Oh, it's so great. Like, the whole scene is so sexy. She's, like, slowly walking toward him. She's using this tone of voice. They're making deep eye contact He's, like, quietly freaking out. She's activated his emotion chip, and but, like, very pleased with himself. Hmm. Like, he's like, I'm enjoying this, and I'm scared, and he does not know what to do. And it's all really, really hot right up until they kiss, and it's so gross.
1: <laughs> it did, however, lead you to wonder just how much skin she had replaced oh. for him. Do you want to I don't know if I can say it on air. Do you want to? She was. Right. She's like, I've given you skin, and I was like, what kind of skin? Ryan was like, did she give him foreskin? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> uh, we're telling it all. There's but no she did, right? Of... She did. Maybe, probably. I mean, like, of all of the parts of the dick, foreskin. I don't know. Maybe it's like she grabbed it on. Just an entire organic set of parts maybe, yeah, maybe She
0: gave the whole thing, all of all of the skin, all of the kinds of skin. Yeah.
1: I just, I don't know what to call the skin that's uh, like other parts of penises. We're talking about I, penises I now. Do, I do know, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> they demonstrate My that My parents listen to this podcast. <laughs> so embarrassed. Hi! Hi, Dad! <laughs> Hi Ryan's dad. Hi, hi our moms. <laughs> what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna transition <laughs> to Please. when in all of the scenes where she's first introduced, her like head and basically the bust of the queen like oh. descends from on high. And then she's connected up into this body. okay, suit. so
0: it's not it's like her shoulders. and then below her shoulders is an exposed spine, a terminator style. And it's not just exposed. it's like wiggling. And, and as someone who just finished yoga teacher training, it's wiggling in directions that the human spine does not normally move. and it's it's very phallic. And then that spine inserts into her lady body. Mm-hmm. So we've got this sort of weird, like she's very hot and femme. And then she's got this giant phallic thing. That's like part of her actual self. And then the feminine body that she joins with is, is artificial. It's like
1: she's getting dressed in mm. front of whoever it is that's witnessing this happen. This is a trope that I have encountered in other places. The... Female dominant bad guy mm. gets dressed in front of our heroes. Can you give an example? As a like power move, Ooh. and the thing that the thing that I'm thinking of is from Killjoys, which I have not yet convinced you to watch. But one of the main antagonists of Killjoys, her name is Dulcea Kendry. She's a rich bitch. There's a scene where she's like in her bedchamber getting dressed and our heroine walks into this Mm. because she has been summoned. Mm. She's like there under command and Dulcea is like, you're going to help me put my corset on right now. And so it's it's a fucking power move. Yeah. I did not have time to look up other instances of this trope, but I am confident that it shows up other places.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just sort of have a general image running through my mind right now of, like, women um, stepping behind room dividers and then, like, changing their clothes and coming out again and being like, you yeah. were here while I did this. Yes. I am very powerful. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's very much rejection of... Being undressed in front of another person is a sign of vulnerability. It's like the heightened inverse of that, where you're so powerful that you do not have vulnerability Mm. even when you're naked.
0: Yeah, and a rejection of modesty, an assertion that you don't view the other person as a threat. Like one reason why you should be modest is because if you're not, you might get attacked, right? You might get sexually attacked. Yeah. Right? Like, I know that you can't harm me. So that's that's there too, I think, that undercurrent of like um, emasculating the person you're undressing in front of
1: mm, mm-hmm.
0: by saying your masculinity is not a danger to me.
1: Right. Or whatever, yeah, whatever it is that you're bringing to the table, I am more powerful. I don't even have fear of you when I am exposed.
0: Yeah, but this, so this happens every time, every time the board Queen comes back, she has to be reassembled. I think it's also a reminder of her inhumanity or her like artificialness. Mm-hmm. Like it's a reminder that she is a monster. If we just saw her in her dominatrixy outfit from the
1: outset, you might forget that she's more than a person. Yeah. And I think it also sets her apart from other drones. Uh, anytime they're disassembled, it's because they have been injured or killed. For sure. And just to touch
0: on that, she's apparently immortal. <laughs> <laughs> she's tied many times that she just shows up again. So this goes back to, like, is she actually the Borg? Like, she's separate, but she's in them. Like, do they have a cloning facility? Do they just pick the hottest, skinniest bitch and be like, you're the Borg queen now? Like... I really. those are the parts I want to know like how do you become the next Borg queen (laughs) that leads me to this other thing that we were kind of debating about in Unimatrix Zero where the Borg queen is like obsessed with killing the tropical fantasy island that some of the Borg go to when they're asleep. Janeway convinces her to go visit it. So she goes there and she meets a kid They said you wanted to
2: assimilate you Yes. That's nothing to be afraid of. You like having friends, don't you? Assimilation turns us all into friends. In fact, it brings us so close together we can hear each other's thoughts. Is that fun? Yes. It's fun. I was just about your age when I was assimilated. I was worried then too. But when I began to hear the others, hear their thoughts, I wasn't afraid anymore. Don't you miss your parents? They're here, with me. Part of us. I can hear them right now. The face acting on,
0: um, What's-Her-Face. You know her name.
1: The Borg Queen is played by two different actresses, Alice Krieger and Susanna Thompson. But in these Voyager episodes, she's played by Susanna. Susanna Thompson. Yeah. So
0: Susanna has this look on her face where you kind of believe her. You're like, oh, yeah, she can hear her parents right now. They are still with her. She says some specific shit. And I think she says it to Seven later, too. Like, we learned some specific things about, like, when
1: this body was assimilated. She was a child, like this child, and she was scared at first. But then when she was able to hear all of the voices in chorus alongside her, then she was comforted. And now it's how she loves to be. You had a thought, though, when we were talking about this a few weeks ago...
0: Mm. Um, If you don't remember, I'll just tell you what you told me. <laughs> yeah. You were like, your initial interpretation of this was that she was accessing the memories of someone else. That it wasn't necessarily this Borg Queen's bodies, but it was one of the many memories of one of the many drones of what it was like to be assimilated as a child and she was like accessing that to have a way of connecting with that kid
1: which, which you know that's some speculation or some headcanon i think, I think it's think a valid it's, inter- i think it's a valid and interesting
0: interpretation it's not the one i jumped to
1: first where that came from and thank you for reminding me that i had that thought is that one of the borg Queen's superpowers is that she has every single drone's memories to pull from yes you know if that wasn't this particular body's memory it's like it's Still equally her experience no matter whose which individual body's experience yeah. it actually was.
0: Okay, so I I want to know if you think she means the things that she says to the little boy or if she's just being nice cuz she understands how to manipulate people because of like her superpowers of accessing like many different memories.
1: My interpretation is that she does. She believes so strongly that people are Better off as drones than they are as individuals. I think she has a skewed perspective because she's essentially the only individual who is also Borg, but I have to believe that she's speaking from her truth because a lot of her actions don't really make sense otherwise or she's just like really really cruel and delights in the cruelty which is also possible but is like not as it's well, we not necessarily a, a believable sadist. motivation
0: we know she's a sadist but is she cruel
1: <laughs> well yeah I, most sadists are cruel the, the good ones only deploy their cruelty to people who ask for it data was asking for it yeah. i'm on the record. <laughs> Oh man, do
0: you think she believes it? I don't know. I to- I go back and forth on that. I think it's really interesting if she does. I think it's really interesting if she doesn't. Especially so she plays it really really straight and it's really convincing and kind of touching until the go- kid goes, "Is it fun?" and then she frowns. She knows it's not fucking fun. <laughs> <It's> not fun. <laughs> so something I'm interested in is if that is this particular body's experience or if it is the experience of the board Queen consciousness that she especially identifies with that this might
1: have something to do with her obsession with Seven. Mm. Because Seven was assimilated as a young woman and also with her parents. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. And that she's just like you, I want
0: just the way that when you meet someone who is a lot like you or who you identify with, you might also be attracted to that person mm. or just think, I want to be friends with that person. But you're like you, you are like me. Don't you see that? Why don't you see that? Come here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And and she, so she's out there. She's seeking a companion. She wants somebody who's equal to her. And I think that what she's seeking apart from simply like partnership and somebody to to converse with is someone to validate her choices to say i see you i see how i am like you and i would make the same choice that you made Mm -hmm. and they never do so they're rejecting her and they're rejecting her choices oh
0: poor queenie (laughs) we
1: have sympathy for her (laughs) mass murderer (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah she's got she's got some Ironically humanity and it makes for it makes for a compelling villain like if she was totally I mean I think the Borg as an antagonist for Starfleet are interesting and we're gonna have a different episode where we talk about the Borg more um, as an entity rather than the Queen in specifics and we'll get into this a bit more but they have very opposing values. Yes. And so having this queen who's the, like, spokesperson for the Borg values, but still an individual, is an interesting kind of contradiction. Yeah, it's definitely a
0: contradiction. It makes for better storytelling. But I think one of the things that makes Star Trek not lazy is that they try to play with that contradiction. They're aware of it, and they're not just like, yeah, this is what's happening. We needed a face. That way this was not fucking boring. Like, they try to explore The complexity of that contradiction.
1: I had one thought as you were talking, I was like, oh man, maybe one of the reasons that she hates Unimatrix Zero so much is that she's like, everybody's hanging out there without me.
0: Yeah, I like it. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's the
1: whole point of this. I built this whole thing so I'd never be alone. Because there doesn't, what I identify as the threats of Unimatrix Zero. They do, with the help of Voyager, develop this virus so that they can, like, wake up and still retain their individuality and are thereby divorced from the collective. Like, that's a threat for a number of reasons. Apparently, as soon as you're an individual, you can take over an entire ship full of Borg drones. So that's a threat. But before that, Seven's ex-boyfriend comes to her and and he asks her for help. So I think that Unimatrix Zero is already under threat, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and he's reaching out to her. So there yeah. must be something about Unimatrix Zero prior to their like coming up with this virus that is itself threatening to the Borg Queen. And I don't really grasp onto it except for this: like, there's a place where people are hanging out, and I can't go. It's like it's it's
0: not really harmful. They don't remember any of it when they wake up in their drones again. And even if they did, it's like they actually get to have these individual lives. So it like the whole thing about why being a Borg is bad is it erases your individuality and they get it back mm-hmm. for a little bit. It's, it's like giving your workers a break. Right. Or yeah. being like in my tech company, I'm going to build a rec room. Right. You just you just build in a place for people to be a little bit happy so they don't realize that they're slaves. And I, that it seems
1: like that would be beneficial to her. It does. And another thing that it does is, I know you kind of rang on the fact that it's this like tropical island. I'm just so worried about the bugs.
0: When (laughs) I look at that, I'm like, I would not have fun. It looks like a lot of hiking and a lot of bugs. And I don't see any bungalows or any pools or any air conditioning or like smoothie huts. Like, do they have a mall? Do they have them all? I love it. <laughs> you were saying that... So, you- I
1: was, I was just saying that one of the ways that it is a relief from the Collective is that it is this very nature, natural setting, a stark contrast to where the like Borg usually exists in a hyper-technological space. Once again, it's like a rejection of everything that the Borg Queen holds as her values.
0: Yeah, well, because when she gets back to Janeway, she's like, it was more primitive than I expected. And I'm like, what was she expecting? Like a city center? <laughs> I don't know, but I love her. <laughs> I love this villain. Uh, I love how gross and weird she is. Other than her being really, really skinny. I go back and forth, like, is it male gaze or
1: not? Like, I I like the portrayal of this lady monster. Mm-hmm. Star Trek has given us a gift of a real of a really compelling female monster villain yeah which is not a thing that we have a whole ton of and that she has complicated motivations that she has like conflicting desires Mm -hmm. and she's extremely powerful but also has certain weaknesses that are exploitable which is fun to tell stories about or like watch stories about I am so curious about whether or not she's going to show up in Picard,
0: and whether or not people want her to. There's been no hint of her. Maybe people are over it. They're
1: clearly not over the Borg. They're not over Sir Patrick Stewart either. Which, oh no. I mean, he's amazing. And we will talk also about Picard at a different time. My guess we'll is see. that soon the Borg Queen's going to show up in Picard. <sighs> it's wild speculation. Yeah. I hope so. so. I hope you're right.
0: Do we have... I have one more thought about these episodes. Yeah. Um, Seven's dad is played by UG from Salute Your Shorts. <laughs> 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 so any other elder millennials out there? If you're like, why does that
1: guy look familiar? It's fucking UG from fucking Salute Your Shorts. Camp Anawana. Despite having never watched that show, I have an image of this actor With zinc sunscreen (laughs) just on his nose. He's a Mm. cultural icon in a way. Yeah. Um, And also kind of a terrible dad.
0: Do you have any other final thoughts?
1: (laughs) I'm glad everybody's back for season two. Thank you for listening. Get excited. We're going to do more bored conversations. We're going to do more other stuff. It's exciting. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Resistance Resistance is is futile.
0: Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola barnes Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes.
1: It really makes a big difference. Donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That's fempire spelled like empire with an F before it. Because it's our lady empire. Fempire. You say what you just said. Is
2: this a different microphone?
1: No, it's the same. I just got a mic. I the pop filter oh. does not work well with this new apparatus, so yeah. it's a windscreen instead. It's cute. Yeah, I like it. I think it looks makes the microphone look.
0: It looks fancy norm, and like a giant like a penis, but like in a in a cute way. Yeah,
1: <laughs> mushroom. Mushrooms. What
0: I'm thinking. Mushroom you're gonna add this into something (laughs) like you're recording
2: this aren't you i know i am